Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Today's episode is brought to you by ModMed. Do your EHR and PM adapt to your style of practice? The ModMed EHR and PM do, with benefits like remembering preferences and automatically suggesting documentation and billing codes. Urologists voted ModMed the number one urology-specific EHR and PM solution available. Built by urologists with input from yours truly. Stop wasting 60 minutes and 200 for each of your open or no-show slot. Go to modmed.com slash prsnetwork, set up an appointment with the team at ModMed Urology, and shift your urology practice into high gear. Imagine a solution on a tablet or the web that works seamlessly with revenue cycle management, analytics, telehealth, payment processing, patient engagement tools, and much more. ModMed is transforming healthcare by placing doctors and patients at the center of care. Welcome to episode 109 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-host, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. And today, in this episode, we wanted to clarify, uh, there was a question that came in from the modifier sequencing episode, so we wanted to clarify that and get that question answered. Also, uh, we have another question about modifier usage and unbundling never allowed, what what to do if there's anything. And then a uh, uh, question on trimix injection training, how to how to deal with that? Is there what's the proper coding for that? And then also questions on the trans uh, basically bladder neck contractures and the different um, codes for that. So um, let's start with, so so we wanted to start with the modifier sequencing and answer that question and kind of follow up on last week's episode. Uh, the question that came in is, I listened to the podcast on order of modifiers on a claim. Just one question. I've been taught that the global modifier doesn't apply to an assistant surgeon. So if the patient is in the global, you wouldn't add the 78 or 79 modifier to the claim. It would only be added to the primary surgeon. I have been coding for over 20 years and never used a global on an assistant claim with no denied claims. Correct me if I'm wrong. Thank you for your time. Okay. So, um, Def, so I, I'm assuming she's talking about um, if they bill for a, uh, a an operation within the global, either, either a 78 or a 79, and the primary surgeon uses the 78 or the 79, and then they have an assistant surgeon who bills with just the 80. Um, and typically, that does work. Um so you don't necessarily need the 78 or 79 because that 78 and 79 are used on the primary surgeon's code, but not the assistant. But I do want to clarify, and the, the question was just there, th that 
if a you had a primary surgeon and um an and and an uh, assistant let's say in which the primary surgeon is of the same practice with the urologist who did the initial surgery so you're in a global for the practice so even if the initially the primary surgeon was the assistant on the first procedure but when they come back they're the primary surgeon <clears throat> you do still have to use the 78 or 79 because the way medicare looks at the group as kind of a, a physician with multiple heads that even though that primary surgeon in the second case wasn't the primary surgeon on the first they would need that 78 or 79 now um because you're part of the same practice same specialty um, now there are a couple of payers that we've run into where the 78 um, was uh, a, an issue um, with that assistant surgeon within the global that even though the primary had it um, the uh, the the assistant got um, a denial without the 78 or 79. So it shouldn't be needed because the primary surgeon's classifying it appropriately. Um, but we're starting to see a little more sophistication on the payers that are, they're starting to play with that. So um, I would keep an eye on that rule um, as it's going forward uh, because it does provide the insurance company with a little bit of, of savings. But I would agree with her that the 78 um, or 79 on the primary uh, is essential and on the assistant surgeon it is not essential um, for most payers but keep an eye on that and for those of you who haven't memorized the the modifiers the 78 is the unplanned return to the operating or procedure room by the same physician or other qualified healthcare pro professional and the 79 is the unrelated procedure or service by the same physician during the post-operative period. Well, Mark, I got a little confused on the primary being the secondary, et cetera. But if Medicare looks at that a single practice has multiple heads and they associate a surgeon with all the surgeons within a practice, wouldn't you need the or potentially need the 78 or 79 on any member of the practice that assisted in the surgery? So typically the assistant surgeon is is one of those areas where over time they have not, you know, they're already reducing the procedure um, to 16% of the cost. So it's only there's no real global payment to the assistant surgeon right that it is focused only on being an assistant in the in the operating room so the the way the reimbursement is set up you really shouldn't have to put a 78 or 79 to see a double reduction right so you work value only and then 16 percent um so that's really, I think, the crux of that question there is, and, the, and the, the real answer to that question overall is when you're an assistant during the, during the procedure, 
it's technically not paying you for any global. Um, and so that additional reduction, which is what is that 78 or that, you know, that global period um, change is where that reduction applies. So that's that's why that question comes into play and and why typically you don't need the 78 or 79 in addition to the 80 because the 80 really is about interoperative work only. All right, I think that's clear. So you you really wouldn't add the 78, 79 to an assisted surgery unless you knew the payer was not going to pay you without it or you as a person that like to wear belt and suspenders as well, right? Yeah, I'd, I mean, I'd start without it and, and go back only if I got the nine to see. That's right. what I would do. Yep. So, and, we, and I think we use that as an example, which is why she's asking that question of order. So, which, All is, right. which I'm glad she asked that. Yep. Good question. I'm glad we got the clarification there. All right. All right, let's move on to the next question. Um, another modifier question as it relates to uh, unbundling never allowed. It says, just just need to clarify, if my doc performs a 52356 on the right side, dash RT, with a diagnosis in 20.0, and due to unrelated hydronephrosis, on the left, uh, 52005 is performed on the left side only. Can 52005 LT be billed also? According to edits, it cannot be billed even though it's not related. Any input would be great. And we probably should go over what the uh, the two codes are. The 52356 is the cysto with ureteroscopy and or pyloscopy with lithotripsy, including insertion of an indwelling stent. And then the uh, 52005 is the, uh, the cysto with ureteral catheterization with or without irrigation installation or ureter, ureteral pyelography exclusive of radiological service. Yeah, so this one... This one's kind of got a couple of nuances in the whole process. So number one, you are up against the bundling edit is unbundling is never allowed with 52356. And billing the 52356 with an RT and the diagnosis of DXN 20.0 um, is a, a good way to report that um, to give a little bit of clarification in there. But you've got to remember that the 52005 does not allow for bilateral billing. So we're going to have a hard time using an LT on a code without a bilateral modification. So actually, I would look at this as a 52005 because you should be paid for this um, and using the XS instead of the uh, RT or LT on the 52005. And then, of course, you're going to bump into the fact that the computer is never going to pay this because the unbundling allowed edit is in there. So uh, you're going to have to run through the appeals process. And I will tell you that a lot of payers will tell you 
the NCCI said it is, is unbundling is never allowed. And even with appeal, you're not going to get paid by some payers. But it is appropriate to report. And I would use the excess. And you can appeal. Um, and you might win at an ALJ level. But it's probably going to take, with a lot of these payers, at least a, a third to fourth level of appeal to actually get that paid. So you're going to have to decide how much time you are willing to spend and how much effort you're willing to spend to get paid on that 52005. Because it's, it's absolutely one of those areas where you're doing it for a totally separate reason. You're doing it in a separate structure. But the shotgun of bundling edits makes it very, very difficult to get paid. What would you do, Ray? Well, I'd probably not do the same thing Mark does for once. But I would definitely put the RT and the LT on there. And uh, I might add the XS, too, just to confuse them. Because uh, that that added an extra layer, but this is definitely one of those things that should be paid, and I, I think the fact that it's right and left adds a more important uh, distinction than the excess. Uh, but I think Mark's also right: the bilaterality of the fifty being denied. Uh, does kick out the right and left. So I don't know. You'd have to look at it for how little you're going to get paid for that extra in the multiple procedure reduction as well. Because if you look at it, both the endoscopy and when you get that uh, family reduction, it may not be worth the appeal or the billing. It seems out of principle you should just do it, but I get time-wise and money-wise, it just may not make sense. Yeah, it, I used to do it and appeal it to the end just because, you know, what's fair is fair and what should be done should be done. And if you keep fighting it, it costs them money, too. All right, well, we, we'll leave you with that. A very, uh, you know, you're up to you. You have several options. And... uh it's it's your own call. Okay. The next uh, question we had is, my clinic is confused on coding for trimix injections. We have patients that are coming for teaching on how to do a trimix injection. Should I be coding the 54235 if the patient is injecting themselves during the teaching and bringing their own needle and medication for the injection? I think we should not be coding the 54235 unless the doctor, PA, and P is injecting medication. Please let me know what you think. And the 54235 is the injection code injection well, uh, by, a, by, a by a provider, qualified healthcare provider. So it is an injection code for a corporate cravenosa, and, and I agree with her. Um, the 54235 is indeed a procedure that is reported when the QHP, so the doctor, the PA, or the NP, um, does the injection, or you've got a, a nurse who's providing, the, who's actually doing the injection, incident to the provider. 
So you you need to you need to be doing the injection in order to char- charge the five four two three five. If you are not um, doing the injection, but just teaching, uh, at that point um, you are going to um, you're going to have to use uh, an ENM code um, and base it on time uh, as the as the billing for that particular encounter. And if it's a nurse, it's nine nine two one one with a QHP. You might be looking at a nine nine two one two depending on how long it takes ready comments no comment okay all right let's uh move on to the uh final question that we want to cover today um, would you be able to go over the difference in coding the tur of a bladder neck contr- contracture uh the transurethral insection of the bladder neck contracture the cystoincision of the bladder neck contracture and the TUR uh, or incision of the post-operative bladder neck constricture. They can get confusing. So you want to see if we can't clarify that? Yeah, I think so. Um, we, as we look through all of this, we've got a few different codes um, that we're talking about. Um, so we'll kind of go over them in ascending order as they list in the the CPT manual. So you've got the 52270 and 52275, which is um, cystourethroscopy with uh, internal urethrotomy. Um, so uh, that procedure um, is a procedure where the cystoscope is inserted. You look, uh, you do a cystourethroscopy, then the cysto is removed, <clears throat> and then uh, a separate uh, tool is inserted um, into the urethra, and there's a, an expansion, and, a, and then a small cut is made in the urethra um, by the tool, but you're not actually, the cysto is not being used during the procedure it's a separate instrument without vision and that's why you have or you so you're not really looking at the area that you're resecting and that's why you have code 52276 which actually is probably perform is actually performed much more frequently these days where you actually use a um uh an incision tool through the cystoscope so you are actually looking at the area that you're incising within the urethra so that is the the transurethral uh insection or, or incision urethmotomy or a dviu a direct vision internal urethrotomy so that's the 52276 and then um, for the resection codes, the 52450, right? If I'm remembering everything correctly, Scott? It's the 52500 is the transurethral resection of the bladder neck, which is a separate procedure. So okay. the 52500. Okay, so that is actually not just an incision um, of 
the urethra. So it's not just an incision. You are actually, that that would be an operative note that you would see in which the physician actually resects um, significant tissue within the bladder neck. Um, and it is a separate procedure um, because it, it is one of those things that bundled into a TURP, um, but you are actually resecting tissue probably around the bladder neck. So not just an incision, but you're using more, uh, uh, you'll probably see a resectoscope used to actually take tissue away from the bladder neck area. Um, and then the only difference then between the 52500 and the 52640 is that the 52640 um, actually has built into the CPT code um, a, essentially a diagnosis restriction in that it's really the same procedure, but it is done because there was a previous procedure done and you're going in and resecting uh, more of a scar tissue. Um, so it's a little bit more effort because you're not doing just uh, regular tissue, you're doing scar tissue. And so uh, you, would, you would use that code, the 52640, to resect tissue in the bladder neck. Um, but it, the reason you're doing it is because the patient has already had a procedure in the past that has now caused some uh, scarring in the area. So you'll need an appropriate diagnosis code um, to use the 52640. So hopefully that helps in differentiating between those uh, procedures as you're looking at operative notes. Um, you know, an, an incision, you're just making a, a cut to a stricture. You're not really resecting any tissue so that would that's one of the things you're looking at versus um, a resectoscope in which you're actually removing tissue um, in those areas, usually more than just on one side. You're usually doing a little more around the, the bladder neck, typically. And then there's the location side of it, too. Um, so hopefully that helps um, in differentiating between, among those uh, different procedures. Ray? Uh, Scott, would you read the definition of the direct vision incision again? So that is the 52276, two, two, seven, which is cystourethroscopy with direct vision, internal urethrotomy. All right. Now, I just wanted to emphasize that that is not organ-specific. So that could be an incision of the bladder neck or the urethra. It says urethrotomy, but uh, that could include the bladder neck as well. Okay. I think that answered that question. We will end this episode here. I uh, do want to remind you that we are... Registration is open for our Urology Advanced Coding and Reimbursement Seminars in Las Vegas. That's happening at Bally's in December and at Harrah's in New Orleans in January. So if you go to prsnetwork.com forward slash 109, 
you there will be links there so you can get registered so we'd love to see you all there and have these discussions and continue these discussions in our seminar we have a lot of them all right final thoughts uh ray nope mark <laughs> uh yeah so <laughs> the only thing i'll add in all this stuff is that you know, I, I appreciate all these questions and the nuances everybody's getting um, on some of these. And I know sometimes we get a little nerdy on these discussions um, across the board, but I really uh, I, you appreciate all these questions. And, and, um, and as well, those folks that are diving in and saying, hey, wait, I didn't do it that way. So getting everyone on the same page so that... Uh, we can train these payers at least as best we can to stop doing stupid things. So, um, that's good. So thanks for all those questions. Yes. Appreciate all those. And then a lot of challenging questions coming in. So coding's not easy as you know, it's, it's not black and white for sure. As you can hear, you know, with, as one of the questions we gave, you know, I think there were three different possibilities there. So, all right, we'll end it there. Take us out, Ray. Happy coding. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and their staff maximize income and efficiencies so there's time and energy for patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music on Spotify under his record label, Juice Reed.